morning, Antioch Brighton. My name is Pierce Van Dunk. Me and my family have been a part of Antioch, New England for a number of years now. And every time I get to get before you guys, uh, I'm excited because I know how passionately and how how fervently you guys serve the Lord. So uh, it's, it's good to be with you, even though I'm not really with you, uh, but good to be before you today. Uh, one of the things that I have appreciated about being a part of Antioch, New England for some years now is that we as a community don't shy away from the difficult conversations. We press into the, the difficult parts of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to be a disciple of the Lord. And in today's society, there is a lot of, of talk about racial injustice. There have been some uh, heinous acts of violence against black people and a number of injustices in communities of color have been unearthed as a result of the, the unrest that has been rustled up by these, uh, these injustices. This is not a new thing. This has happened many times in the past that the, these sort of flare-ups and pointing to those injustices have happened many times, but we're seeing in a new way people in general of, of various backgrounds speaking out boldly in, in ways they have not before. The church speaking out boldly in ways that uh, many, many churches are speaking out in ways they have not before. And we as a church community are engaging in these issues in ways that we have not before. Uh, we have had some engagement, but uh, we're, we're seeing a greater, le greater level of participation, which has been beautiful from my perspective. Uh, we want to address today who are we as the people of God? Why is this uh, an important issue for us? Why is this, uh, why is racial justice at the core of who we are as the people of God? We want to address identity before we address doing. It becomes an empty show when we say, okay, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? And we don't understand who we are as the people of God. We see that throughout the scriptures that if we don't have that identity piece, we're missing the most important piece of, of following God. We need to understand who we are as God's people, why this is uh, at the core of who we are, and then we address what do we do? All right, what, what are we actually trying to accomplish here in the realm of racial justice? Why, how do we walk this out? What does a win look like in interpersonal conversations and interactions, as well as a broader community of faith, broader congregations, a broader church movement, what does a win look like in engaging in these issues? So I want to submit to you today that costly unity and divine justice are two of the primary ways that we are going to point people outside of God's family towards the kingdom of God. Amen. Costly unity and divine justice, God's justice, the justice that promotes equity across racial divides that is uh, countercultural, the and the unity that costs us something not surface level not just being together in the same room but unity that goes to the deep and difficult places these are going to be the signs in our day and age the miraculous signs that point people towards God and lead to salvation lead to a deeper engagement with with faith that lead towards a greater commitment to serving the kingdom of God. So who are we? Let's look to the scriptures. We see throughout the word of God that God's people, the people that he has called, are called to be a light to the nations, ambassadors for the kingdom of God to draw others towards God. That, that's one of the primary functions of his people as a body. 
We see in Genesis 12, we see the call of Abraham that through him and his descendants, all nations are going to be blessed, right? It's not just for Abraham and his people, it's for all nations. We see in the Mosaic Covenant that the the law, the first five books of of the Bible, the Torah, they are meant as a a sign of, of how to live in relationship with God, and that was meant to be represented to the world around them. We see in the prophetic books, we see that uh, clearly stated that Israel is called to be a light to the nations to display God's nature and his desire for relationship to everyone around. If you look at Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 to 3, I'll read those. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Right, we're called the, the Old Testament people of God were called, just as we are called, to be a light to the nations. We see that the Messiah, Jesus, uh, prophetically is declared to be a light to the nations. We see in Isaiah chapter 49, verses 1 to 6. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my birth, he has made mention of my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I have said, I have labored to no purpose. I have spent my strength in vain for nothing. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with God. And watch this. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to himself and gather Israel to himself. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the nations that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Right? We see clearly that the Messiah, Jesus, is called to be a light to the nations. And the miraculous signs and wonders that we see in the scriptures are meant to draw people unto God. And justice and unity are the miraculous signs that today people will see the people of God, the church, walking out and they will say, that's something I want to be a part of. That's something meaningful to me. If I can serve a God who cares about justice and unity across racial divides in a world that is so plagued with division and violence and discord, that is attractive to me. That's going to, and, and it's miraculous. right? It, it, the human condition says, let us divide across uh, differences and attack one another, but the the divine, but the the miraculous piece of it is that God inspires unity in the difficult places, not just surface level, but deep, true unity. We see Jesus performing signs and wonders, uh, f- feeding five thousand, uh, walking across water. Th- these things that are are just miraculous that people can't explain in any other way other than the power of God. And that's what I'm saying. Unity and justice, the type of unity that injustice that we're talking about here are going to be signs that point to the kingdom of God. We see in Pentecost, it was a miraculous thing that 
the Holy Spirit descended upon the early church. The, the first group of people gathered in the upper room and they spilled out onto the street and began proclaiming in different languages, miraculously, uh, the, the truth and the goodness of God. And people from various nations across race, across ethnicity, across gender, across socioeconomic divisions, people were unified, people were brought together around the, the love and grace of God. And as that early church community progressed, it was not uh, a simple, let's get everybody together in the same room. It was deeper than that. There were divisions. There were there were difficulties. There were disagreements. We see it among the the Jewish heritage people and the Greek heritage people that there were divisions about whose widows are, are whose widows and children are being served better. Who, it, let's look at this discrimination that's happening. And and the church pressed into those issues, those difficult issues. They didn't shy away. Amen. So we see who we are as the people of God. We're called to be agents of unity and justice. This is part of who we are. This is at the core of our being. This is our identity. This displays the character of God. Now that we know, now, now that we can see some of who we are as God's people, let's dig into what do we do practically? What does a win look like? What we're seeking is costly unity. We're seeking a type of unity that goes deeper than diversity. Diversity is important, but we have fallen short of our calling if we just all get together in the same room and do business as usual and leave inequities and, and wounds unaddressed. Wounds and trauma based on, on racism and on uh, difficult uh, situations based on ethnicity and race. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German theologian who was doing uh, ministry and theology during the Holocaust, he made an important distinction between cheap grace and costly grace. He says that cheap grace is the kind of grace where you don't need to do anything in response to that grace. There, there's forgiveness without any repentance. There, there's uh, grace without any growth, without any calling, and it's no true grace, but costly grace inspires us to change and grow. I want to make a distinction today between cheap unity and costly unity. Cheap unity is the preaching of diversity without confronting disparity and discrimination. Cheap unity is the doctrine of colorblindness or the celebration of people's cultures without understanding the painful history of their race and ethnicity. Cheap unity produces awkward silences when Christians of color share wounds from racist encounters or outrage at unjust systems. Cheap unity is no unity at all. There have been many situations where someone who has a, a painful experience with, with race will attempt to share that and it will be met with awkward silence or someone will launch quickly into a, a prayer or a mini sermon about how we should all see each other as the same and we shouldn't be talking about race and, and uh, things of that nature. And that communicates to that person who's just shared vulnerably, my, my pain has no home here. I, I need to look somewhere else, some, somewhere outside of this relationship or somewhere outside of the church to have that part of myself met with compassion and understanding. That's cheap unity. We're together, but there are parts of ourselves that we have to withhold 
At other times, people remain awkwardly silent or move on to the next subject because they don't know what to say. They're afraid of, of, something, of saying something offensive. This is cheap unity. This is, this is not the type of unity that God desires. On the other hand, costly unity requires justice and equity. Costly unity involves seeing and knowing the wounds that prejudice and injustice have caused Christians of color seeking true healing and not just quick cover-ups. Costly unity means clearly, unequivocally calling out racial injustice as evil and petitioning God to intervene on behalf of brothers and sisters of color. Costly unity is the only kind of unity that God desires from us. Here we're talking about going to the difficult places fearlessly. Going to the places of potential disagreement with love, with grace, with understanding, knowing that we may disagree, but our love and bond in Jesus Christ are stronger than any disagreement that could potentially divide us. Trusting in the Holy Spirit that he will unify us across these divisions. Not shying away from the conversations because they're scary. This is costly unity and this is what God desires of us. I'll tell you what a win looked like. In my experience in Antioch there have been a few encounters where I was like this this displays just the the sort of unity that we are that we are after. I was having a conversation with a white woman and I was telling her about my work in the prison. Uh, I, I work in the Middlesex House of Correction in Billerica as a, as a chaplain. And without me bringing this up the subject of race, she just noted, it must be complex for you working in a facility that has to do with incarceration because of the racial dynamics of mass incarceration. And I thought, wow, I didn't even say anything and I feel like I've been heard. I, I responded, yes, actually it, it is quite complex. I think about it quite often. Uh, and she cared about my well-being enough to enter that conversation of, of race and, and those dynamics that play into, into incarceration. She wasn't afraid to enter that conversation. She wasn't afraid of saying something wrong or offensive. She just cared about me enough to say, yes, I, I know that these issues affect you in a way that it doesn't affect me. And I see that, and I desire your well-being. That was beautiful to me. Other conversations I've been able to have where I had... I was able to express how, for example, the, the killing of, of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, others who have been revealed in recent days, how they were affecting me and, and with, with white folks, and, and these white folks were able to acknowledge, you have concerns in this country that I don't have to be concerned with, and I empathize with you, and I, I see that, that suffering, and I'm with you as a brother, as a sister, as, as a fellow believer, as a, as a fellow congregant, I'm with you. I don't have to experience that, but I'm with you as, as you process through these things. And I'm here to listen and to, to converse with you. I didn't feel like they were pulling it out of me, uh, but inviting me into that sort of relationship, that sort of trust. Uh, and I think that's an important thing to distinguish between demanding uh, implicitly or explicitly saying, okay, share, share everything with me so that I can learn as somebody who is just entering this sort of conversation and this sort of processing, versus... I am open to hearing that part of your struggle. I'm here 
to pray with you, to, to hear you out fully, to empathize with you, and to seek healing with you, and to seek justice with you. That's costly unity, and that's beautiful. Divine justice. We, we are seeking equity. We are seeking to first understand how the sin of racism, the sin of discrimination has shaped our communities to understand the history. We, we dig so much into the history of the scriptures to understand what they're saying to us, and that's good, that's important. We should give similar attention to understanding the history of discrimination, of racism, why all this outrage and unrest is coming to the surface, why all this grief over racial injustice is coming to the surface, understanding the history so that we can understand the present reality. It's, it's easy when we are well off, when, when we don't have any personal uh, problems regarding uh, race on our, in our daily existence to ignore that history, to ignore those dynamics. But what God is calling us to, I believe, is to be intentional about understanding the history, understanding the present reality, and being a witness to the kingdom of God and how we engage in these issues. I'll give you another example of a way that we can engage in these issues as a church. We can enter into the communities that have been discriminated against and, and shaped by the, the history that we've, we've been describing that, that we're trying to understand. We understand how, uh, with, with discriminatory housing and job po policies and law enforcement policies, these communities have been, been shaped uh, how they are. Uh, many, many of them afflicted by poverty uh, and the crime that results from that discrimination and, and poverty. Enter into those communities, not with any sort of savior complex, but understanding that there are uh, believers and, and incredible people in those communities that we can form genuine costly unity with across racial and socioeconomic divides. Being a witness to the people around to say, the, the ways that the racist and discriminatory policies have divided us don't have to maintain those divisions. By the Holy Spirit, by the power of Jesus Christ, we can enter across those barriers and form unity. We, we learn and teach, we give and receive, we offer each other across those lines the, the things that each of us has to offer and humbly receive what we're offered and what we're given. We evangelize in those communities and not just in the college communities, not just in the affluent white communities, primarily white communities. We display through that engagement across those barriers that we, just like James says, genuinely don't show any partiality. We're, we're active in challenging the biases and blind spots that go on subconsciously in each of our minds. And through that, when, when we understand the plight of our brothers and sisters who have been affected by discrimination and, and uh, racist policies, we understand, we, we can see in their personal lives how we can advocate for them and how we can join together with them, uh, join together across these lines and engage in, uh, in society in a way that betters their situation, betters our situation, betters the situation of all of us. First, we have to recognize that these injustices are taking place, take them seriously, and unite across those lines. That's how 
God can enter into the those injustices and make a difference in them through us. That's how we can engage. That's just one way. There are many ways. The pursuit of divine justice and costly unity, these are uncomfortable places. These can be scary conversations. But let me tell you that there is no place more uncomfortable than the cross. Jesus was tortured, laid out on a cross, lifted up in in derision and, and disgrace in order to bring us into unity, costly unity, unity that cost him his life. Unity with God and unity across racial and socioeconomic divides. These are uncomfortable conversations, but we're entering into the place of discomfort that Jesus entered into for us, for our sake, for you and me. So I encourage us today, let's enter in. I've seen many examples of costly unity in Antioch, in both personal interactions of mine, heard stories, um, seen it from the, from the stage, from the pulpit, and have been encouraged. But more than those instances of costly unity, I have a challenge for us today. I've seen, more than that, I've seen cheap unity. I've seen, let's all just get together in the same room and ignore the elephants in the room, ignore the problems that exist. I challenge us today to press into the difficult places, the difficult conversations, and the difficult actions. Because God works best when we are at our weakest, when we are at our most confused. So if you feel confused and unsure which direction to turn, turn to God. Turn to God and be directed towards costly unity and divine justice. Amen? Amen. God bless everybody. And I'm so glad to be before you. Uh, Love you all and looking forward to one day being together in person.